Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Viral, a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. I'm Ian Doyle. So I've no doubt people are doing their very best, but we all need to do a little bit better. And we need to remember that the social distancing applies outdoors as well as indoors. As Ireland settles into its second full week of restricted measures and awaits more potential news in the coming days, I wanted to take the opportunity in this episode to have a look at the wider world and see what way COVID-19 is affecting people's lives on a day-to-day basis. Over the past two days, I've chatted to six Irish people on six different continents about their own personal experiences, as well as the restrictions and measures that have been put in place in their own region. From Addis Ababa to Buenos Aires, there are very few places on the earth that the virus hasn't proliferated at this stage. And from my conversations, it's clear that everyone's lives have been disrupted in one form or another. Now, before moving on to that piece, there is some news coming out of Baggett Street this evening, as the Department of Health have confirmed that two patients diagnosed with COVID-19 in Ireland have died today. Both patients are male and in the east of the country. The HSE and Department of Health have also confirmed 219 new cases in Ireland as of 1pm on Monday, March 23rd, taking the number of overall patients on the island of Ireland to 1,253, as Northern Ireland confirms its second death today. After living in London, working in supply chain management for Amazon, Seamus Burney moved to Norway on the 1st of February this year to begin a job for an online retailer based out of Oslo. Everything was going to plan at first. It was all pretty normal. <laughs> and then I went skiing in Austria at the end of February and came back then the beginning of March. And actually most of the coronavirus cases in Norway have come from Austria, from okay. like one specific town called Ischgl. So that meant that then when I got back, I was put in quarantine. So basically had two weeks at home. But actually, shortly after I was quarantined, then like I think a day or two later, the whole company and the kind of whole country went into lockdown anyway. Mm. So essentially everyone is kind of quarantined. So that's been it so far. Ireland and Norway have followed very similar trajectories in terms of measurements taken to limit social interactions. Schools were closed first and then they then shut all the bars and gyms and all that kind of stuff after being in quarantine in Norway I think is the same as in Ireland I think it's called restricted movements where you can go out and you can like I can go for a walk and I can go to the shop if I need to but I'm just not meant to go to work or to get on the bus and that kind of thing as Ireland has seen a vast reduction in supermarket panic buying and stockpiling of goods
Video surfaced across the UK of supermarkets witnessing even more extreme pandemonium. The UK and Norway are both European countries who are not European Union members, and with Seamus' expertise in supply chain management, I wanted to know whether Norway's status makes them more or less sustainable in the weeks ahead. The competition here is quite low, and that's kind of a big general topic that was sort of being discussed before uh, the coronavirus, especially in relation to this company that I work for, because they're not part of the dominant sort of food group in Norway. Mm. Um, They've closed the border here, so no foreigners can arrive um, unless they live here or are registered to live here or have like a very good reason to come in. But in the press release and that kind of thing, they always made sure to say like this does not impact any imports like like goods will still be coming into the country i have a couple of friends over in london who are sending me pictures of like completely empty shelves and there's not none of that happening here australia has an extremely large contingent of irish people living there with one third setting up in new south wales kate mcdonald lives in sydney and describes how they are trying to contain the virus the number of cases now in australia is over a thousand and most of those Mm. cases are in new south wales so everything is kind of operating as normal, but a lot of people have started working from home. A lot of the schools are still open. I think in Victoria, where Melbourne is, they've started closing schools. All their kind of states and territories have started closing schools because um, they have the power to do that. But I think uh, in New South Wales, schools are still open at the moment. At present, things like bars, cafes and restaurants are still open, but with the addition of restricted measures. Kate believes that it's only a matter of time before a more thorough lockdown policy will be put in place. They've introduced this rule that every person needs four square metres inside a restaurant. So that means like a lot of places are just kind of letting five people in at a time or, you know, they're kind of trying to space out tables and stuff like that. It doesn't feel like it's in lockdown yet, but I think that is going to happen possibly even by the end of this week. So it does feel like we've still got a lot more freedom and stuff like that. Australia is currently battling with many of its citizens to abide by social distancing restrictions that have been put in place. The weather is still really nice at the moment. and Any outside gathering over 500 people is banned, so it's difficult to see how they're going to enforce that, you know, on a really nice day in beaches. The beach is now closed. You need to leave the water. There were no sharks in the water, just the threat of coronavirus on the sand. Bondi Beach is officially closed. Please move up to the park area. The flags were removed and swimmers were herded off the iconic beach. So on Friday, it was a really, really sunny day. I think it was 33 degrees and Bondi Beach, loads of beaches in Sydney were just absolutely rammed with people. Because like obviously a lot of people have started working from home as well. So people are kind of nipping down to the beach and stuff. So they closed the beach. It's closed temporarily. And like Bondi Beach is one of the biggest tourist spots in Sydney. So it's pretty big them to do that and they're saying you know if this happens again on any other beach or or park or anything we're, we'll just close it because people clearly aren't taking it seriously mm. and in fairness there was absolute outrage out of it as well from people who were actually trying to stay at home and social distance themselves and all that kind of stuff um, and you know new south wales government officials were really really appalled the health minister fired the first shot what happened in bondi uh, was unacceptable and uh, the local council must take steps to stop that occurring. But the state police minister followed suit. What we saw this morning here in Bondi Beach um, was the most irresponsible behaviour um, of individuals that we've seen so far. So I think people aren't, at the moment anyway, taking it that seriously. And I don't know if it's because 
so much of Australian news is very Asia focused. So many of the cases in China and Singapore and stuff, they've kind of leveled off and, you know, things are improving a lot there. Mm. There's almost like a, a sense of calm here because, you know, it's kind of like, oh, that will probably just happen to us rather than Italy. So it's really hard mm. to know which way it's going to go. And like everywhere is just changing every day. For the past three years, Father Stephen Monaghan has been living in a town called Ambo in Ethiopia, two hours outside of its capital city, Addis Ababa. He moved there having established a school for deaf children and now works with the locals who are running the school on a daily basis. For clarification, I caught up with Stephen in Ireland, two hours after getting off a plane from Ethiopia. Most of the kids are coming from rural districts and just have no opportunity for education. So it's been very successful. We've we've about 70 uh, children in the school uh, at the moment and uh, that'll be their literally their only opportunity for education but one one father was telling us that his child was just in charge of the sheep that was his his full life so when he heard about the school he was delighted and uh, brought him to ambo coronavirus has yet to hit the town of ambo and ethiopia is only currently battling with 11 confirmed cases Stephen is very concerned about the potential spread of the virus into the wider population because of the lack of healthcare resources like i'd be worried in the context of the outbreak of uh, the virus, if it was to arrive and when it arrives in the town. Um, I've been to the, the hospital and it was grim enough um, in the context of the level of hygiene and then the level of treatment that, that people would get. I wouldn't even have any idea now whether there's a respirator or a ventilator and I keep hearing about you know, tens of thousands of those being kind of needed just to cope with the situation here in Ireland and um, whether in the town uh, that, that I was living in, whether there'd be one at all, I, I, I couldn't say. And if there was, I would say there'd be very, very few. So it's, it's fairly basic. If any of our kids get sick, we bring them down to a what we call a higher clinic. It's just a, a basic little uh, medical centre, and they get assessed. Beyond that, then they have to go to the hospital, and I visited there. Um, and from a local point of view, you, you know, you're in charge. You, if somebody is in the hospital and they're sick, uh, the, the family are really responsible for all of their needs and, and so on. They get whatever treatment uh, is required. But if it's a serious thing, then people are just packed off to Addis Ababa because that's really where the the, the medical centre is. It's it's basic healthcare that you get in, in the town that I was in. And is there much of a public awareness about what might be coming down the road in relation to the virus? That was one of the kind of the more extraordinary things was the level of awareness that was kind of building up um, among people, like most of the people that I would know wouldn't have a television uh, and there isn't any radio, but somehow or other this information has kind of moved very, very rapidly. We would have begun a little program of awareness, certainly with our deaf kids, who would have been the first actually to know about the whole uh, corona situation because we were meant to bring them to Addis Ababa to get hearing aids fitted. Mm. And literally, uh, you know, within a few hours before we were to go, the whole thing was cancelled. And then, you know, we had all of the kids and their parents with us and we were just having to inform them why the thing was cancelled and giving them very kind of basic information about how to prevent and protect themselves from from the virus. As the case numbers begin to slowly rise in the country's urban areas, villages like Ambo have begun to familiarise themselves with some of the COVID-19 safety measures and etiquette. It was lovely actually to see the kids and they'd all be kind of doing the elbow taps and the foot taps and... Everybody was kind of laughing about it, but, you know, the anticipation of what exactly is coming down the road isn't maybe as clear. 
So they know that there's a problem and there is a level of anxiety building. But because it actually hasn't arrived into the town and there isn't uh, a case yet, people are laughing about it and, you know, it's, it's a bit of fun to tap the elbows. But you could just feel the levels of anxiety building among people that understood what what is coming their direction if and when that happens. Coronavirus has infected Argentina at a slower rate than other countries of its size, with 266 active cases and four confirmed deaths currently. Susan Kennedy has been living in Buenos Aires with her husband Marcello for over 10 years. We're kind of in the position of getting the news from other parts of the world early here. So it came here a little bit later, like other countries, you know, obviously it's more advanced in some countries. Um, but we're in a total quarantine now at the moment since Friday night. The president announced basically, you know, a shutdown of everything. And really, people are only supposed to be going out to supermarkets and um I don't know how heavily they're cracking down on that, mm. uh, but generally, I mean, it's very, very quiet. It's really peculiar. So people, I think, are taking it pretty seriously here. And what was the sentiment before those measures were put in place? Did it take something that drastic for people to begin taking it seriously? I think it probably, to some extent, depends on who you talk to, right? I mean, I think, you know, uh, the president sort of was trying to keep businesses going and open as long as he could. But also, you know, as I was saying, I think we, we see what's happening in Italy, you know, and Spain and Iran and other places. And, you know, it seems that the prevailing wisdom on this is obviously the faster you act and on social distancing and uh, keeping people out of contact with other people, the faster you can kind of get through this. Although Argentina has been progressive in some of their measures to reduce the strain of the virus, there has also been a vast lack of resources put into testing centres around the country. There's one single place where people can get tested in Buenos Aires, and this is a city of, I think, 13 million or something. So that's just not adequate, you know. Um, and there are a couple of other testing places around the country, but it's very minimal. Um, I'm sure they're trying to get more tests created or source more tests or deal with that. But I think probably in a lot of places, there's more cases than are actually getting recorded because of that, you know, because of the lack of access to testing. Similar to Ireland, Argentina has been put on a restricted movement lockdown until the end of March, where it will be readdressed. Measures have also been made to try and lessen the economic impact the virus will have on the Argentinian economy. They did a peculiar thing here, which is kind of a quirky uh, action, which is um, to move a couple of national holidays to within the quarantine, the, the, this date, to within the month of March that we're actually going to be in the month of April to kind of get them in uh, to this two week period. Um, so I've never in my life uh, been anywhere where like national holidays have been moved in that way. Locally in Buenos Aires and all across the country, there's been a huge national appreciation for those working in frontline services since the outbreak of the virus. In Argentina now at like 9pm every night, um, the country, like people are stepping out onto their balconies and stepping out to their houses and stepping whatever into the open air and like clapping for the medical uh, profession you know wow. so uh, it's been done it's pretty like gives you goosebumps you know the whole like so I live in an apartment building that's got like 14 floors and so kind of have this echo chamber of these other apartments that are uh, in the surrounding area mm. and just hear this like roaring kind of applause you know it's very exciting for a two-year-old as well to hear that <laughs> she gets well into it you know <laughs> so anyway it's just another cultural thing that's happening here 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. On pause, the state takes extraordinary steps to stop coronavirus crisis from intensifying. Most businesses closed, most people at home, but will this extreme measure work? Tonight is an unprecedented time for New York State and New York City. All non-essential businesses closed their doors three hours ago as the state goes on pause to fight coronavirus. Mark Verling has been living in New York for over five years and is the beverage director of Tourist, a restaurant and bar in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. To avoid having to engage in New York City's high cost of living, Mark moved to Quebec temporarily. I vacated New York City on Monday evening because I was told that uh, my restaurant was being forced to close and there was no uh, compensation in in the pipeline. New York City has become the epicenter of COVID-19 outbreaks in the US, with almost 50% of their overall cases, which also accounts for 5% of the world's total patients. These jarring figures emphasize just how deadly the disease can be in large urban areas, as the city's death toll passed 100 in recent hours. It was a mixture of lots of things. Um, like it always is, I would say. There's definitely moments of like, you would see panic and you would feel an atmosphere of stress and there would be empty streets. And then almost moments later, you would see something really beautiful happening and like a really great sense of community and um, support. And there would be people around like supporting each other. Um, from what my understanding is since leaving in the past, uh, I guess it's been seven days now, um, it has become like a very much deserted and the streets are empty and people are very much exercising social distancing and respecting that it has to be done. People would often say that the service industry in New York is the backbone of the city. How devastating is that going to be for the restaurant, bar or cafe workers that make up a huge percentage of New York's workforce? I mean, it's going to be devastating, truthfully. It's so hard to like give any insight because we're not been giving any insight by local and national government um, they just keep making these flippant statements and in, in, uh, in interviews like uh, 
Governor Cuomo just last night said it could take up to nine months until he's going to allow restaurants to open again, which is just something that isn't backed up in any any sort of factual argument. He's just saying it. So I, I don't know. It's hard to say. It could be two weeks. If it's two weeks, it'd be fine. People will get over it. But if it's it's going to be nine months, it means that like uh, I think it's 15 million people are employed in the service industry, and right now there's no plans of any sort of uh, supplemental income for all of these folks. So I think for the everyday New Yorker, they're gonna really struggle. I think there's a huge chunk of people who work in the industry, and even the people who just go to support that industry like multiple times a week, it's going to cause such a huge shift in Unlike Ireland, at present there are no plans to introduce supplemental income welfare for those in New York who have become unemployed because of COVID-19, meaning Mark's life in the city might become unattainable in the long term. I can't afford it at all. Like, I'm getting zero dollars every week, so um, there's only so much you can save in New York as it is, and I save as much as I can, but it's only going to last me so long. So, and it's hard to figure out how long I can last, but like there's going to have to be a, a call to be made at some point in the coming months to like start pursuing a new career, I guess, if they like start opening up specific industries that aren't uh, the restaurant industry. Then. Um, yeah, I'll have to see what happens. Finally, to finish up, we're heading to China, where we saw COVID-19's first outbreaks in the beginning of January. At that point, very few envisioned the virus proliferating throughout the world in the manner that it has. John Downey has been teaching kindergarten children there for nearly 10 years in the city of Harbin, northern China. He described the first few weeks of January as relatively easy, as the disease was still contained to Wuhan. After Wuhan closed, about a week later, Harbin itself closed and we started getting infections. But the surprising thing was for me, I mean, within, within four days of Harbin being shut down, we all got a bottle of disinfectant delivered to our doors. Well, you know, it was made very clear that you clean everything and clean yourself. Not only won't keep your own hygiene clean, but clean your house and clean everything. We also had the police call to our door, only to the foreigners. They didn't call to my next door neighbors here, just to make sure we were okay. So they really seem to be looking out for, for everyone here. It's always felt pretty safe and pretty secure. John, can you talk us through what the logistics are of a lockdown in China? What does your day entail? What can you do or what are you not allowed to do currently? Up to last week, it was pretty intense. Um, I'm in an apartment complex here with about maybe a thousand people, two thousand people. But even getting in and out to the security gate, there's only one gate you can go out. It was every second day, one person per household. Getting out. You had to have your name, your address, your phone number, where you were going, everything documented. The queuing going into the supermarket was was unreal because people just stayed two meters apart. It was a line for a couple of hundred meters long. People just stood there and waited on their phones patiently. No aggro, no hassle. It was very, very organized. No one had to tell them, keep back or stay in line. People just automatically just did what they were expected to do. In recent weeks, parts of China begun to move away from complete isolation, letting people integrate back into society. This has been managed in part by a state-run app that dictates what movements you're allowed to make. You have to prove your age, where you're working, where you're from, the fact that you haven't traveled in the last month and that you haven't been near anyone that's been associated with the disease. Once you have that health code on your phone, we can now go and come as we please. We just scan the code going out the gate, Security guard checks it, we get a green tick, we can go out, no problem. The same going into the supermarket or any shop. 
scan the code. If it's green, yeah, you can go in. So pretty much in the last week, you can see that people are more at ease. You go into the shop now and you know everyone in the shop has a certain criteria. They've passed a certain level of scrutiny. So you're feeling that it's safer. Mm. And even here in the estate, only in the last week, you can look out the window now and you can see maybe there's four or five kids playing. That didn't happen up to last week. So in your opinion, self-isolation has been quite a success and has actually worked in a city like Harbin. You take a city of 10 million people, we've had at maximum 200 infections. We've had four deaths. It's down to two infections at the moment, plus two that have been imported. So we're back to four infections. But it's 10 million people and we're still pretty much locked down. The schools are closed. Some businesses are open but because they've been given permission, but majority of businesses are still closed. All the schools are closed. And you look at us in comparison to Ireland. We have four infections in a city of 10 million. We're still on lockdown. The government are not taking any chances. That's what I can see as a foreigner here. I think it's unbelievable. Although there is a clear visible progression in Harbin so far, there's been no formal indication of when they'll find themselves in the clear of COVID-19. Once Harbin is clear, it'll have to be clear for a minimum of two weeks, maybe four completely clear before the schools will be allowed to open. I think part of it is they're afraid of a second wave. There's all talk about it, this second wave that might come in. Mm. And we can see that from some of the imported cases that are coming in. But they're strictly controlling that now, or trying to strictly control it, so that if you come back into China now, it's automatically a two-week quarantine. And because some people have gone home and not quarantined properly, now they're saying you come in as two-week quarantine in a facility. You can no longer do a home quarantine. They're not taking that chance anymore. I know that we won't be working for the rest of March. I'm in the kindergarten, so they're young kids. I personally don't think we'll be back until at least the middle of April. And that will, will have been nearly 12 weeks. Mm. And that's in a very controlled environment. Now, you take a situation like Ireland or anywhere in Europe where the cultures are so totally diverse that you, you can't have the same type of lockdown as we do here in China. I think in Ireland it's going to take well into the summer before they get a handle on this. Thank you for listening to episode 8 of Viral. I would like to thank Susan, Kate, Stephen, John, Mark and Seamus for all taking part in the podcast today. I'm Ian Doyle. I will chat to you on Wednesday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.